0: Welcome to Parallax by Anka Kalra, a podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology and the best from the US Cardiology Review. Published every second Monday, Anka Kaura, MD, interventional cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, USA, speaks with legendary cardiologists, reviews late-breaking trials, and interviews authors of our latest and best US cardiology review articles. We call them hashtag audio articles. Parallax is the effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. So this podcast is your fix of reliable uptakes on all things cardiology by someone from a non-traditional background who is always looking at the industry from a new angle. Now, here's your host, Anka Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone.
1: Um, I have the honor and the privilege to have with me a very special guest uh, on this episode of Parallax. It's uh, the eighth episode of Parallax. The guest uh, for the show, I, I think, in my opinion, has has broken several glass ceilings. Um, it's my honor to welcome uh, Dr. Swami Nathan. Uh, Madhav Swami Nathan is the current president of the American Society of Echocardiography. He is a tenured professor of anesthesiology at Duke University, and uh, he is here with us uh, to talk about um what i think is a very important topic not only for cardiovascular medicine or echocardiography but i think um, in all spheres of industry in general uh, which is a diversity and inclusion um, so um, madhav welcome on the show and uh, thank you for your time
2: oh thank you very much uncle. it's it's indeed a uh, it, it's an honor and privilege in fact that honor and privilege is mine and I'm happy to uh, discuss and have a conversation on, uh, on some of these very important topics for not only organizations, but uh, professional societies as well.
1: Sure. Now, first of all, uh, congratulations not only from me, but on behalf of the entire team at Parallax um, in, in becoming the first anesthesiologist um, president of uh, the American Society of Echocardiography. Um, that is a, a, an incredible in comp- accomplishment. Uh, I'm sure everyone would um, echo my sentiment. Um, and I, I think it's a good segue into my first question to you. Uh, and I think we should just start talking about defining um, diversity and inclusion. Um, so w- we would like to hear from you what you think about these two terms, which you know are being used and thrown around a lot these days.
2: Yeah yeah absolutely uh, but first of all thank you so much uh, the fact that you know i happen to be the first anesthesiologist is is a great thing uh, but i do represent the hard work of a number of people who came before me and really paved the way so i happen to be uh, that perhaps the imperfect face of a group effort uh, but but it's been a group effort and so i by no means am alone in this effort but i happen to stand at the finish line uh, which is um, which is nice, but I it, I would fail in my duty if I didn't acknowledge those people who came before me. Um, but but let's get into that part of the question that you know you asked, which was uh, defining diversity and inclusion. And I think diversity is uh, is really difficult to define, yet easy to define in many ways. Um, one often thinks of diversity from one's own perspective. And the most common uh, feature of diversity that comes to mind is gender diversity. But diversity takes the form, it takes many forms, whether it's racial diversity, ethnic diversity, diversity in terms of country of origin, gender identity, sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in in terms of professional society, that could take the form of subspecialty diversity, institutional diversity. Um, There are so many different forms of diversity that you know, it, it becomes imperative to consider all of these when we think in terms of diversity and not limit ourselves to those aspects of diversity that are closest to our thoughts. But, but think about it broadly, much more broadly. The other thing is that diversity, <coughs> excuse me, diversity is more important, why? I mean, when we think about diversity, why is diversity important at all? Should we just pay lip service to the fact that diversity means that we should have different people of different kinds on a, uh, at the table? Yes, but the whole idea is to have diversity of thought. You know, diversity of thought is what is important. The reason why we want to have different kinds of people with different backgrounds at the table in any conversation is to have multiple types of opinions. We are all You know, we all give opinions and we are all products of our upbringing, which are very different. And when people come from different backgrounds, they think about the same thing differently. And ultimately, it's that conversation that becomes richer, that organization becomes richer, the professional society becomes richer, because that conversation is richer from all these perspectives that come in. So I think it's very important when we talk about diversity to think really broadly and not just limit ourselves to that, you know, we may be thinking about diversity from a very close
1: perspective. Um, yes, no, I you know, what you've, you've raised several important um, subtopics, um, you know, in the introductory answer, which, uh, you know, I, I thank you for. Um, as as president of uh, a large academic professional organization like the American Society of Echocardiography, um, mm-hmm. how do you, you um, How do you bring that into action? Like, how do you bring all these relevant, important, beautiful concepts of, you know, not only diversity of gender, diversity of nationality, diversity of backgrounds, um, but also diversity of thought? And I I think diversity of thought becomes a function of all those other diversities that you just talked about. How do you bring that into action when you are, um, you know, sort of becoming... um, one of the components for creating a path or uh, you know establishing a pathway for an organization like the american society of echocardiography
2: right these are uh, really important considerations and i would uh, i would start by saying that it's not easy uh, but nobody said it was going to be easy so i didn't assume it was going to be easy but but here's the problem i think you have very well-meaning people who can succumb easily to their own implicit biases. People have benign intent. Let's assume that. And when we start with that, we start thinking that decisions that people make are generally uh, good and they're well-intentioned, especially in professional organizations and societies. But what happens is that we tend to succumb to our implicit biases. And that's true for all of us. So when we, start at, when we started at the American Society of ECHO uh, you know, trying to think about diversity and inclusion, uh, we said, okay, let's sit down in the sort of executive team and say, have we articulated diversity as a core value, as a principle? And if we have not, I think that's where we should start. And so once we start and articulate that as a principle we would like to adhere to, And that's when we will then rely on that principle that will drive all decisions that we make as a professional organization. In the sense that, you know, it could be one of our principles, one of many principles or one of many core values that we espouse. But once we start thinking about all our activities, and let me give you a few examples. For example, you know, we talk about creating scientific sessions, topics. Panels, we talk about creating committees, we talk about creating uh, guideline documents, for example. And then these are all just simple examples of activities that a professional society engages in. Once we start doing that and we create these groups or think tanks to think along these lines to develop these particular topics or committees, somebody has to sit back and say, who are the leaders of these particular groups and are they aware of our driving principles? that whatever their activities are, we must fall back and must espouse these principles and we must live them in all our activities. Once we start doing that, then we see much, much richer conversation, much brighter outcomes. Now, the, the path is sort of long and the journey arduous because, you know, along the way you can have many people who may not appreciate the reminder that they are not thinking in terms of diversity that they are actually succumbing to their implicit biases. People don't like to be reminded of that. However, it is incumbent on leaders of that society to ensure that regardless of the kind of um, response that one gets, you know, one has to ensure the applicability of that principle in everything that we do. It is also important, and I've tried to do this, whenever I have... Um, try to convey my preferences in terms of, uh, you know, gender diversity or ethnic diversity, I have to sort of step back as well and resist the urge to uh, succumb to my own implicit biases. So I always have someone sort of watching over my shoulder, watching me and saying, hey, you know, I I need to get feedback from you, uh, whether I'm, you know, getting out of line or whether I'm displaying my own implicit biases or not, just tell me what's going on. So I think as a leader, I think every leader should have a, uh, a coach, if you will, who can actually uh, be looking at you and guiding you and giving you feedback on how you're performing. And if, um, and if you start doing that, I think we start uh, developing a, uh, a much more cogent strategy to ensure diversity in all that we do. And again, it's not just being lip service, but ensuring that there is this sort of feedback loop and everyone's happy with what we're doing. Um, You know, and and also not just ensuring diversity, but ensuring inclusion as well. So simply putting people on a panel doesn't actually do uh, justice to the concept of diversity. You've got to include people and encourage them to speak up. Because people tend to speak up. What you want initially in terms of diversity is diversity of thought. But then people aren't going to be willing to speak up unless they're comfortable in a group. And the way to make them comfortable is to make them feel included. And I think that's the most important thing. So as a society, I mean, we started on the strategy of first trying to articulate uh, our principles of diversity and inclusion, and then implement it across all our activities.
1: You know, thank you for walking our listeners through the thought process of a, of a leader. Um, you know, it's seldom that we get to hear such conversations. I think it's a great periscope into how, you know, leaders think and, and society heads think. And, um, you know, like you said, it, it could be an arduous decision, uh, making process, but you know, the hope is that at the end it's, it's very fulfilling and rewarding. Uh, you know, when I we were completed. sure, you know, when we were off, when we were talking off the record, um, and I, and I'm, I'm going to snatch this quote from you. You said something very, very, um, Um, I shouldn't say cute, but it sort of resonated with the idea of diversity and inclusion, which, which, so what you said was that diversity is like getting invited to a party and inclusion is being asked to then join the dance floor, um, which, which I, I, I think is just hits the point, uh, right where it needs to be. Um, uh, go ahead. I mean, if if you want to add,
2: I just wanted to say that, you know, this was, wasn't my original quote, but I read it somewhere and I really uh, liked it. So that's why I repeated it to you when we were talking earlier, uh, because it really resonated with me as to what the uh, what the real core uh, reason, uh, it, it sort of demonstrates what, what diversity and inclusion and the difference between them is all about and how we should think about it. You know, so that's why I said, you know, just... Only you know talking about diversity in terms of putting people on a panel or a writing group or a committee doesn't do justice. we have got to make them feel comfortable in terms of speaking up. Uh,
1: sure. now just because I have uh, you know the the privilege of having you um, on our show, uh, you brought up, you, you brought about um, several topics which I would love uh, to hear more on because you know as someone who's um, on the other side of the table. You know, trying to get more involved in um, professional societies, or uh, you know, or panels, or or guideline writing documents. Um, as as a leader who's on the other side of the table, who's making all these decisions, um, I think it would be fascinating not only for me, but I think for our audience and for our listeners, a lot of whom are you know the early career um, uh, professionals or uh, you know fellows in training or even house staff and, and, and residents. I think, uh, what would be fascinating to hear from, uh, a leader like yourself would be, you know, how do you, how do you come up with decisions on who's going to sit on this panel or who's going to, um, you know, chair a particular guideline writing document because, you know, American society of echocardiography is very heavily involved with other societies in, in, uh, shaping up these, uh, these documents or, you know, forming these, uh, you know, f- interesting panels, which, uh, you know, call for great discussion in, in conferences.
2: Yeah, no, the, that's, these are great questions. So, so one of the things that I'm looking at, you know, sitting on uh, as the current leader in the ASC is that I don't want to make decisions alone. Um, and because, you know, my decisions could be uh, biased in, in some way. Uh, they could be uh, viewed as sort of a unilateral uh, kind of decision. So I ensure that I have a team behind me or with me that I'm making a decision with. So I ensure that I have people around me, very smart people, who who help me uh, understand or help with oversight. And I run these critical decisions by them that may impact a lot of people, saying that, are we doing the right thing here? You know, are, Take a look at this panel and uh, what do you guys think? Uh, is it something that uh, we that reflects us as a society? And my job here is to ensure core principles are met. My job is not to do the individual picking, but I want to ensure that whoever does the individual picking does so with the core principles of ASE in mind. Now, I have pushed back uh, on occasion because uh, these core principles aren't very specific, so they could be interpreted in a number of ways. Uh, and, and so what I fall back on is, uh, for example, and you asked about guideline documents and writing documents, and my message to those who do these kind of selections, you know, in, in, in these teams is, you know, one has to ensure that there is experience on that group. But we need to balance experience with opportunity. You know, there is someone in this group who at some point, you know, well, there's someone in this group who's experienced but at some point got their first break. And how did they do that? So I want to see that while we meet our core principles in some of these guideline documents and ensure diversity, we need to make sure that there's diversity of experience as well. And the reason for that diversity of experience is that you pair not only experienced people who know the nuances of the guidelines that they are writing for them to be impactful, but also some of those folks who are emerging stars, who are, rising stars who are uh, sort of younger members to get the experience of sitting down with partners who are more experienced in writing some of these documents then they will elevate on that ladder i also try and uh, make sure that i convey this message uh you know in terms of leadership this is a very powerful sort of uh symbolic message which is that when you are thinking of climbing this career ladder or the leadership ladder. you cannot get to the next step unless you take your foot off the last one. That is critical to understand. It's critical to understand for leaders who are advanced in their careers and it's important for leaders to understand who are still rising in their careers that you know you say you can say yes to everything but you've got to learn to let go as well. And I think that is key to keep the whole system and organization moving in the right track. And so that's the sort of strategy or, you know, message that I would give to, um, you know, rising stars or the emerging early career professionals who are thinking of getting engaged with a society. And I think, you know, your enthusiasm is extremely welcome. There are several ways that you can uh, participate in a society and, and, one of the ways is to uh, network with professionals, to uh, engage with a mentor, to, uh, to, to contact some of the senior people in the organization. And most of them are very approachable. It's only the impression that they might convey that they're not, but almost all of them are very approachable. And ask them for advice, you know, what should I do next? And, and how can I participate? How can I engage? And understand that this may take some time because everyone, who is at it who has a prominent role in an organization? Uh, you know it's that iceberg phenomenon. What you see is the tip of the iceberg which reflects success. but below the surface is a whole, whole big mass which which um, represents a lot of hard work and maybe failures along the way uh, and rejections along the way that have uh, you know built that whole um, iceberg, so to speak. So understand that it may take some time. It will take mentorship. And it will take some patience, but it will take hard work and uh, you know, find ways to get engaged because your leaders are leaders because they've gotten to that point. And to the leaders who are in that position, I would say, you know, think about taking your foot off that last rung because you're going to make way for someone else to stand on that uh, ladder.
1: Yeah, no, you know, you've touched upon some excellent themes. Um, I'm going to ask you questions on at least a couple of them, um, you know, because I have been on the receiving end and, you know, have, um, you know, received, uh, you know, a lot of rejections, um, but also, you know, have experienced, um, a lot of failures, you know, at different stages of my career. Um, and, you know, I think it's, um, you know, it, it may not seem that way to a lot of people, but, you know, when I am having these conversations, you know, cause I, I feel that, you know, medicine is, is such a long career trajectory. Uh, that at any yeah. given point in time, I mean, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about medicine at large, you know, including all specialties. Um, that at any point in time, you can pick any medical professional, uh, and that person could fit in the role of a mentor, but could also fit in the role of a mentee, right? I mean, I think we're all um, yeah. Yeah. we're we're all lifelong mentors and lifelong mentees. You know, like you said, you even even leaders need uh, ombudsman and coaches. Um, yeah. How have you um, circumvented experiences of um, failure and rejection, which I think are very important stepping stones. I mean, I I have not heard of a single success story which has not had failure. I mean, I I think it's it's important. I think it's almost a rule that you have to fail in order for you to succeed. Um, but I think it would be fascinating for our listeners to hear some of your personal experiences uh in in the in this trajectory or in this ladder of becoming a leader of a very prominent professional organization now you know how did you circumvent and learn uh and sort of you know went back and and had a conversation with yourself or you know self reflect in order to then implement um and you know to to get where you wanted to to be
2: yeah, no, again, some very good questions. I think, you know, one, one's, uh, one is defined not by their responses to success, by the, but by their response to failure. And, and, you know, what defines you is how you respond to these uh, rejections and how tenacious you are. Uh, and, and, you know, some of these uh, rejections or failures can be very hurtful. Uh, you can feel um, depressed, you can feel sad, they can knock you back. But, um, but over time, what, what you need is to reflect on some of these failures. And these are very generic statements. The way I've done these is I've been extremely, extremely fortunate to have uh, good support and people who can actually examine my responses and then say, hey, you know, you're just overreacting. Relax. It's just one you know, paper that you've got a review on. And, and you know, it's okay. Snap back and, and let's see what we can do to make this better. And so I've been very fortunate to have uh, mentors and coaches along the way. Uh, some of those have been my uh, superiors at work. Some of these have been uh, my uh, senior colleagues in, uh, at the ASE, for example. Uh, one of these has been my wife. So it's important to have someone or a team of people around you who can support you, uh, or at least one person, if not more, support you through your successes and through your failures. It's really, really important to balance too, in the sense that your response to successes should not let you get out of hand either or to think that that is normal uh, but that that is a result of this sort of iceberg phenomenon, you know a whole body of work that has gotten into that has gone into uh making you successful
0: on the other hand, you know
2: you, uh, when you fail uh you've got to look back and say. What led to it and what could I have done better or what can I do better to fix this? And, and that's a really, really hard thing to do. But you've got to circle back all the time and sort of get that feedback. One of the things that has helped me most is, uh, for example, when I've been um, in early in my career, when I used to give uh, talks at different meetings, uh, I used to be pretty upset at some of the feedback that came through, especially the negative feedback. But over the years, I found that that negative feedback was critical to making me better the next time. So I started adapting or adopting some of the advice that came to me through that negative feedback. I started trying to see the signal through that noise, that initial disappointment at getting a negative sort of review on my talk, and then trying to figure out, you know, what did I do that led to this Um this response, this negative response, and then try and fix that. And, and over the years, I felt that that was perhaps the most useful thing I've done you know, going into the future. So I think um, as a leader, at every stage in your career, uh, whether you have achieved the leadership role or you haven't, or you're on your way, it's really, really important to have a supportive team. Uh, if not one supportive person, certainly a supportive team who can give you feedback and can support you through that failure. That's absolutely critical. So build your support team first as you are embarking on your career. Find a mentor, but find a coach, find a sponsor. And they may be three different people. They may be the same person, but find people who can uh, help you through the thick and the thin. And you'll find that the journey becomes a lot easier.
1: You know, such a such an excellent answer. I mean, I you know, as I was listening to you, I was you know ruminating on uh, you know some of the central themes that you've touched upon, which I think are just quintessential for uh, every professional. You know, whether it's um, you know a fellow in training, resident, house staff, early career, mid career, late career, I think just the the ability to um, take both success and failure in the same stride. Uh, and sort of achieve a state of equanimity which is also what the bhagavad gita uh, you know preaches yes um yes. is um you know i'm i'm sure people would have heard about this uh, but it's very difficult to actually practice it on a day-to-day basis but i think if you if if all of us can can achieve that steady state of equanimity i, I think um, you know there's a lot to be learned and you know i think your your other point on criticism um, and negative feedback. I mean, you know, I, you know, I've always been taught that criticism and negative feedback are free audits. So you should always take them and, you know, keep searching for more because, you know, I think it keeps refining you, um, as a, not only as a professional, you know, but also as a person. Um, so yeah.
2: And, and I would add that, uh, you know, uh, people who don't care, don't get feedback. Yeah, so that's, think about that mm-hmm. when you are thinking about the feedback that you just received, um, And really, people very close to you who give you negative feedback, hold them really close because Mm -hmm. that's golden. Mm -hmm. And and so encourage people to give you feedback on how you're performing. Don't be afraid at what that response is. You know, find people that you can trust and then trust them.
1: Yeah, no, these these are so important points, you know, I think for really developing a career which is you know fulfilling uh, you know more than a career which is fulfilling i think it's more important to have a journey which is fulfilling because you know there's a lot more fulfillment in the process itself than uh, than in the result um, you, you know i you, you know, and i would i, I would encourage sure.
2: you to think uh, or or listeners to think you know that mentorship uh, you know goes both ways as you are a mentor to someone you're also a mentee to someone um,
1: exactly and,
2: and think about think about that it's a two-way street but also don't think about mentorship as a senior junior construct but think about how you can be a mentee to someone who is less experienced than you and when i say experience what i mean is think about experience more broadly there are so many things that i could learn from somebody way more junior in my career who's more experienced in certain things than i am let's say digital media for example or, 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 you know, managing relationships in the new age of social media, for example. Those kind of things are things that some of us who are removed from that, you know, may have trouble understanding. And so think about mentorship in a different, from a different perspective, that mentorship can come from anywhere. And mentorship just means a sharing of experiences and learning from them. And that could come from anyone.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, there's a, there's a reason why you're a leader, um, other than, you know, your, your answers clearly demonstrate that I, I'm going to end this podcast episode soon, which I, you know, I think it's been a fascinating discussion and thank you for opening up and, you know, being so, um, honest, um, with your answers, um, a, a couple questions. Um, and you know, I'd like yes. to, like to hear uh, thoughts from a leader. Um, one is on feedback. Uh, you know, you, you get, feedback, which is constructive, you may get feedback, which is destructive. And, you know, I think, um, I've sort of, um, you know, had a, a journey of my own, you know, where I, I keep uh, examining feedback and I keep examining my actions. Um, but what I've also realized and learned is that, you know, not all feedback, um, could be coming from uh from a right place in someone's heart, right? I mean I um and you know what what I'm what I'm trying to say is as as much good mentors there are out there, you know, there's also competition and, and there's also envy and jealousy. Um and how um so you know first of all your thoughts on your thoughts on these um concepts and these emotions in the professional sphere uh and then how do you um how do you uh, then um, analyze um, feedback? Uh, I, I think is is, mm-hmm. is is an is an important concept, which I, I think because I have the privilege of having you, we should discuss with our listeners.
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, in terms of feedback, I agree with you that uh, there's different kinds of feedback that comes through, and what you described as destructive. Uh, is particularly strong, and 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 you know it's uh, essentially negative feedback that may or may not be, or generally is unrelated to what you are trying to uh, think about or you focus on. And for example, you know, you uh, I give a talk somewhere, and somebody comments on what I was wearing. Um, you know, so and, and and so what I tend to do is think about that as as almost irrelevant feedback, but then still have uh, you know the the sort of presence to think about some of those nuances, go slightly deeper into some of those negative uh, feedback elements and see, this? is there a signal there somewhere? You know, was I looking sloppy in general? You know, was that bothering someone? It could be coming from someone who had who was upset about several other things and chose this uh, venue to vent uh, their anxieties or their fears. That could also be there, which is fine as long as they are better off in that regard but but you know I would want to just make sure that I don't miss something that could make me better in any of these feedbacks that I I receive and uh, and so that's the important part that you you try and uh, analyze all these sort of uh, elements of feedback that you get but make sure that you're not missing something that there's a signal out there However, however much you may not appreciate um, you know, some comment about uh, sort of my accent, or my the fact that I speak really fast, or that I'm, my slides may have had too much data, or too little data, or too much animation, or I didn't get my point across, or that I felt I was they felt I was too rushed. You know, people can make comments like that, and but there's some truth in all of these comments, right? And so it's it's important to not dismiss every feedback that you get as being irrelevant, uh, especially if you don't like it. There's some part of it that, you know, may hold several truths that would behoove you to examine more closely. So I think, you know, it's, it's a part of that self-reflection. You've got to force yourself to, uh, to analyze and assess, perhaps even show it to someone else. Because, you know, your natural reaction is to uh, react very violently and say, no, 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 that's just nonsense. I'm not going to follow that. That's just, you know, somebody just talking off the top of their heads and it's, it's no use. That doesn't make you better. There could be something hidden in that. So if if you are reacting in that fashion, be self-aware and maybe run that feedback by someone else. Maybe one of your mentors, coaches or sponsors and say, hey, you've heard me speak. Do you really think this is true? Or you've seen my articles. Do you think this is really true? Or you saw my performance in that committee. Um, What do you think? And so it's really important to, like I said earlier, you've got to have that um, somebody who's supporting you and is it you're able to trust to give you an honest opinion.
1: Yes. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I was, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've had several such personal experiences as well, you know, where I've, you know, then uh, you know, picked up the phone and, and called my um, several of my mentors or, you know, had, had honest discussions with, you know, friends who I trust or, you know, mentors who, um, you know, I can relate to and I, I mentors who I trust who I know are, you know, invested in my in in my career um, and you know I've, I've, I've tried to modify behavior accordingly because you know you, again. I mean you, it's it's hard to, um, to, to really know where people are coming from deep inside uh, in their in their hearts, you know Obviously positive feedback is phenomenal. It feels great, but I think um You know, again, going back to that state of equanimity, I think negative feedback should be equally important and should also be equally considered in the same light as positive feedback is, uh, because I think um, it's it's what makes you. It's like you said, it's golden, right? It's it's what makes you, it it makes you better. It's what just refines the diamond even more. Um, So
2: yeah, and and I would say that you know I would treat negative feedback even you know, more, as more important than positive feedback. Uh, positive feedback is, is nice. It's uh, it's a boost to your ego. That's great. Um, but that negative feedback contains the real stuff. I agree. And, and so, right. you know, having, uh, having that, you know, next to you is really important. You know, it, I'll tell you this really honestly, but even when I am um, speaking in a committee or like, for example, the executive or, you know, a group of uh, people around the president of the ASC and I'm talking to people, I always have someone and I I fall back on them and say, let me know what you thought I was really getting out of line or whether I need to modify my, uh, you know, approach in this. It's really, really important. I can't tell you how critical it is to have someone you can trust who's watching you.
1: Yeah, no, um, I I couldn't agree more. I, I completely agree that negative feedback, you know, negative feedback has what has shaped me to who I am now. And, you know, I, I continue to um, grow and evolve, uh, you know, thanks to the free audit of negative feedback. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I also wanted to discuss uh, social media because, you know, it's, um, it's becoming, you know, it's, it's there. It's, it's, it's a reality as, you know, some, some divisions and, and physicians and, and leaders have embraced it. And, you know, some haven't. And, you know, um, those who have, uh, you know, seem to be thriving. Those who haven't, uh, you know, seem to have, um, you know, adverse, um shouldn't say a reaction but you know always adverse comments towards social media um you know because it it, you know and and i've i've heard this too you know that that you know it could be it's all self-promotion or it's promotion of of different sorts and kinds but you know i
2: yeah
1: you know personally for me uh it, it has you know for example this conversation wouldn't have occurred uh, if there was no social media, and I think it's a, it's it's a fascinating conversation, and I I I do you know like for everything else, I mean like you know for everything pretty much everything else in the world, there's good and there's bad, and is how you utilize that medium or that channel to, um, you know then go about um, you know your your goals and your missions. So I, I think from mm-hmm. from from a, from a leader, um, I, I do want to hear your perspective. Um, Uh, on it. Uh, I think it'd be very, um, um, very interesting for our listenership and for our audience to hear directly from you.
2: Yeah, so so a couple of thoughts that emerge, you know, when we think about social media. One is that, uh, you know, there are people who who embrace it, and there are people who don't, who are anxious or, uh, you know, fearful of the uh, implications of being exposed on social media, or you know, there's lack of privacy, etc. There are so many concerns that people have, and and I would say that um, you know these concerns uh, may be real, but you know I would fall back to a more basic construct, which is we are generally fearful of what we don't understand. That's true for all of us. And the first time I gotten I I got into social media, either Facebook or LinkedIn or you know, Twitter. Um, I didn't know what to expect, so I treaded cautiously because I didn't know the depth of the water. But then, as I proceeded, you know, I learned how to swim. And uh, and I think you know there are some dangers. It's important to avoid them, and um, it's important to you. Know, then comes the second point: it's important to see what value it brings to you, uh, whether it brings value to you as a uh, in your personal capacity or in your professional capacity. Uh, What value does it bring? Does it help you network better professionally? Does it help you uh, spread a message? Does it help you learn? Uh, So what are those things that you do that are valuable to your own life where social media can be a good ally? And how could you use it? So getting to know more about how that particular medium can help you is I think critical. And then embracing whichever medium can help you accomplish your goals. And so in terms of social media, it helps me network a lot better. It helps me reach a lot more echo enthusiasts all over the world because it's got a global reach, and I speak specifically about Twitter. And and it helps me network. It helps me learn a great deal because I can use the very advanced sort of artificial intelligence algorithms uh, of Twitter to feed me with the content that is really relevant to me. Uh, whether it's journal articles or whether it's some of your conversations that come through that I value or someone else's. Whatever I value comes to me and whatever I don't value, whether it be politics, religion, or uh, music, whatever that might be, whatever I don't fancy doesn't come to me. So I think, you know, it's important to understand what value social media can bring to you, because the more you understand, the less you fear it. And I think that's, key message for anyone who's trying to get into social media you know whenever there's new technology we are always sort of reluctant at first um, which is sort of counterintuitive to our profession where we are among the first adopters of any new technology that comes to our workplace so why can't it be social media as well
1: I agree and you know just circling back to where we started I think um, it embraces both diversity and inclusion I mean I I think You know, the people from diverse backgrounds, uh, it's um, a worldwide platform. I'm, I'm particularly talking with regard to Twitter as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I I, I have learned, uh, I mean, a lot of the new journal articles which, uh, you know, are practice changing um, or at least are hypothesis generating from a, a practice standpoint have, um, I mean, I've gained a lot from just being active on on Twitter um
2: mm-hmm. and, absolutely
1: well you know it's it's been a fascinating conversation uh, i think we went a little over time but you know that's fine it just uh, is a sign that you know it was such a great conversation so thank you for sparing uh, your time i know how how busy you are um so th- th- thank you for being with with our audience and for sharing uh, your you know invaluable thoughts on diversity inclusion social media feedback uh, criticism, perseverance. Uh, i I think these, these are all very relevant, um, you know, self-reflection topics, which, um, I think, you know, you know, the idea to have these conversations in a podcast format is to then, um, sort of be the vehicle, um, for such conversations to occur. Um, because, you know, I, I just feel that these are so important for self-development and learning and growth. So thank you for all of that.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Ankur, and thanks for taking uh, the lead in uh, some of these initiatives that you've started. I think they're incredible. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for the opportunity to have this discussion. I really enjoyed it.
1: Sure, and, and you know, I'm uh, once once this is out and released, you know, obviously um, this will be on on Twitter, and um, I will continue to follow you and um, and keep the conversation going on Twitter. So thank you for everything, Madhav.
2: Perfect. Thanks a lot, Uncle. Yeah.
0: Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Take care.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Bye. Bye. Dear cardiologists, we want to make this podcast about you and for you. So please email us your critical thoughts, comments, and questions at podcast at radcliffe-group.com and visit uscjournal.com for more information. You can also follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Radcliffe Cardiology for daily updates. Join thousands of cardiologists and become a Radcliffean by registering to radcliffecardiology.com. You will receive regular newsletters and gain access to hundreds of expert interviews, educational webinars, clinical cases, and peer-reviewed articles from our six medical review journals on general cardiology, interventional cardiology, arrhythmia and electrophysiology, cardiac failure, and vascular and endovascular surgery. Thank you.